Hi, this is Tammy Leischer, host of Embracing Change, Talking Through Trauma. The podcast is focused on fitness enthusiasts and movement educators, where we'll have deep conversations that are impacting the movement industry. For example, trauma, health, vitality, the nervous system, and movement. And now, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, and welcome to Embracing Change, Talking Through Trauma, and today my guest is Lauren Thompson, and she is a Pilates instructor, a counselor, and a community activist. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for taking the time today to meet with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Tammy. I'm excited to get to talk with you today. (laughs) Yeah, so our topic today, a few weeks ago, you wrote an article entitled Fat. Can you tell us just a little bit about like how, like, like where, like what, what prompted you to write this article, I guess, is where I, where I want to start. Um, well, a lot of things. So I definitely, I have a history, a professional history of working with, um, eating behaviors and body size, uh, biases. So I've, you know, I've got a long history close to 15 years now of working on that with that topic. Um, but with Pilates Intel, I'd written two um, articles previous to that, and they all are kind of, each one of them kind of inspired the next one. So before um, that, I had written an article called Junk Fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the response to that, because part of that article um, really what I was talking about was the incorporation of junk values into the fitness realm, which I feel are very prevalent. And part of that, that junk value is valuing thinness. Um, And when I wrote about that in the junk fitness article, there was quite a bit of pushback (laughs) Um, that inspired. and, And from the pushback, I could see in the comments a sort of inherent obesity bias, an inherent fat bias. So I was uh, like, well, I need to write about this next. I need to like hit this head on. And the timing of that article, I kind of realized it was going to come out late February, early March. And I was like, you know, that's like the intersection of black history and women's history um, months. And so I was like, this is, this is great timing. (laughs) So I really wanted to Um, talk about um, that obesity bias. A lot of times obesity bias is only talked about under the lens of sexism, Um, at least, and especially in my professional like career of looking at this topic, a lot of times it's just looked at sexism, very much looking at white women's experience with it. And I think that that racism bit is incredibly important. Um, and I talk about um, the book, oh, it might be backwards, but the Fearing the Black Body book. And really that was my first time getting a good understanding of like, why did this even happen in the first place? Like, where did this come from? Because it is very bizarre. I think it's a bizarre, all biases, like all these isms are bizarre, but the body size bias is just very bizarre. 
it's very weird. And she talks about it in the book about how, you know, a century ago, that bias went the other way. There was an extreme bias towards thin women, that they weren't healthy, that they needed to eat more and plump up. And there wasn't, it just wasn't, you know, we're on this pendulum swing that we've now gone the other way. So yeah, I don't know if that answers that question. Uh, it, 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 it did. And I, I think that, no, you did answer. Um, I think that also um, when we talk about the book, there were, and I, I found it very ironic that we would both highlight <laughs> the same areas in the book. Yeah. When it talked, when it talks about, um, it, it, it was just, I thought it was very, very interesting as I do it. And of course I can't find my page right now. <laughs> um, that page, page eight. Yeah, I, I got along it, in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was talking about like prominent feminist scholars and they fear of the fat and but the glory of glorification of um, thinness first gained widespread appeal in the United States. I mean, it was really, I think what, because I didn't have a chance to read. I mean, I skimmed the book and I went back and forth through it. And it's very, believe me, I will be reading it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's more of a textbook book. So it's not a yeah, narrative no. book. It's, you know, you're, you're reading Wikipedia, um, a very good Wikipedia, but it's definitely a book to, you know, like I read it in small doses. Like I would read it also because it's um, emotionally difficult um, information to get through, especially um, for me, it's just, you know, she talks about how um, the size bias. Uh, she has a great quote. I wonder if I can find it. I think I have it in my my paper. Look at my article for the better quote. But my like summarization of the quote was basically like the size bias is a way to um, control white women so that oh. we can maintain this racial hierarchy. Yes. Um, and I think. <clears throat> it's just a interesting emotion. Interesting isn't the right word. It's a, a an emotional place as a white woman to deal with this like almost paradox of I, this thing has existed in my life that has you know created pain for me, and because of that, it's also put me at a higher position that like subjugates these other women like it's just a really um difficult thing to work through so I read the book like in pieces I wanted to get through it I wanted to know the information I was like hungry for more but I knew I needed to like read a little bit and sit with it and process it and then go and read more so that's my well, recommendation on reading it <laughs> and highlight like nobody's business so you can go back because yeah there's so many little bits that I like go back to all the time well and the other one that the other point that she brings up that I think is really important because you know kind of like you like I worked with um within low-income families for more than 25 years with my focus was on trauma but what I saw was um still like when I we talk about like nutrition and we talk about you know in the correlation and how it goes back to 
obesity and things like that, or the lack of money or the food deserts within, like especially inner city places and those kind of things. But she says in one in this part, she talks about um, the attitudes and more impact on elite and white women more than on men, working class or people of color. And I just thought it still, it still goes back to, you know, the things that she's saying right there. And this book was written, but she's laying this out from a century or more of, of, of stuff. And so this has been, and it's not just something that's like just cropped his head up and just shown up late, you know, early right now. But I think that um, when you look at the role that white women have played in this, to me, it's almost, it's almost degrading it to a certain point for myself or it really, it, 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 I feel it's my responsibility to have a better understanding of where this is coming from. So I can first and foremost, be educated and be able to address it from my standpoint. So my biases or, or lack of them, I should say, um, I've been able to address my own self first before I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've always been, you know, on the, what I'm going to say, the thinner side, but I've also had um, an eating disorder that has taken me years and years to get a handle on it and wondering how much of that, because of the cultural values really played into, because I, I'm going to be honest, I was something I inherited from my mother and, you know, you wonder how all of those things all play together. So, yeah, but um, what do you feel are some of the, cause you pointed out in your article, um, like talking about like in, in relation, and I think that it's important because like we're both bodies and structures and it's like we know that women of different sizes and shapes and colors have not always been welcome in some studios because of studio I don't want to use the word studio because Pilates instructors have had the lack of knowledge or they have had their own biases around whatever they they've had but how do you feel that this has played into um the Pilates industry or the fitness industry uh so I think that, so the Pilates industry, I think is unique in that there's a lot of overlap with the dance world. Yeah. Um, and like eating disorders are rampant in the dance. Like that is, that is what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the dance world is a world based on, um, I mean, there's a certain expectation of accepting abuse if you're in the dance world. Yeah period. And so we, that, that's gonna, that bleeds into the Pilates world a hundred percent. Um, sorry, let me get Gregor's here. (laughs) Okay. We'll see how he does. All right. So I think, you know, there's a, That, I don't know that we've really dealt with that in Pilates. There's just a lot feeding into that. There's the racism, there's there's definitely sexism, there's this this size bias. To me, it all boils down to- Oh yeah. 
to me, it's all about control. You know, we talk about control in Pilates as like it's mean. You know, there's this there's this paradox of it. A lot of us enjoy Pilates because it um, we're building control of our bodies, right? Yeah. We're building awareness to gain control, but there is a limit to the benefit of that. Hold on. So kind of going back to what I was talking about with the quote from her book that, you know, we're controlling white women to try and reinforce these hierarchies. There, there is a limit <laughs> on the control. And um, I think Pilates is probably one of the worst at that in the fitness industry. Yoga, I think, is a little bit more space for, I don't know, existing. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't experienced that sort of like perfectionism need for control that, that is in the Pilates world nearly as much as I had. Like, I've not even experienced that in the other form, like weightlifting. Like there are people that want to do it well and that are athletes. But it's just, I mean, it's like prevalent at such a low level in the Pilates yeah. industry that <clears throat> doesn't exist elsewhere. Um, and I'm not sure it's great. I, I hate to, or I'm hesitant to use this word, but I find it a little neurotic. <laughs> like it, well. it's problematic. Um, and I think, but you know, I feel like with our current way, like there's plenty of, there's this wave of teachers right now that I think that are dealing with it. Um, and that's nice to see. <laughs> it's sort of refreshing and, you know, you know, trying, they, Pilates to me, a lot of it in the, like in the previous like 10 to 15 years was about precision, like absolute precision, always going for that, knowing you would never get there. Um, working towards an ideal. And um, I think that mindset just sets you up for all sorts of negative, <laughs> negative mental health experiences. <laughs> and, and I, yeah, it's closed, but I think just that inherently is what has turned a lot of groups of people off from Pilates. Like if you're not, you know, this is the ideal we're holding. So if you're not that, then, you know. That's where the Pilates police come in. But I think there's been a lot of pushback yeah. from, and there's a lot more people that are being much more vocal about um, body size and body shape. And yeah, just I feel like the, I feel like my article came out, maybe my attention's just on it more. I don't think so though, because my attention's been on it, but the article came out and I feel like, especially in the last two weeks, it's just like, vroom, like all of a sudden, all these people are talking about it, not because of my article necessarily. It's just like, you know, energies have aligned or something. Um, and it's just really coming to the forefront, which is like, oh, it's really refreshing to see. I've been, you know, I've been working on this topic for 15 years, not particularly vocally, but in research and 
with my counseling, it's just been a topic that has been of interest for me for 15 years. So um, it's been interesting to watch the change, especially, so my like initial interest with it was more with like medical field and how patients are treated and um, their level of care, depending on their weight size. And yeah. it's been interesting to see, even like in the medical field, there's a shift. Um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna see BMI no longer being used. Yep. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it'll be, I can, I can tell it's happening. I think BMI is gonna go out the window. I think that they're, they're gonna hopefully start using some other forms of measuring oh, people's body size. But I also think too that it's interesting that you say like the connection between body size and how they're treated within the medical community. And it's, um, it's really, I mean, obviously for some women, it can be really, I mean, I, I'm just going to say from, can be really traumatizing for people to go and be treated poorly by somebody who's a medical profession. And you think that they're there to support you. And in reality, they're there to be a critical of you or not listen to you at all. And I think that that's really, people are starting to take a stance against that as well and seeking what I'm just gonna say alternative, um, not necessarily all of them, but I'm just gonna say there are people that are seeking alternative kinds of medication, not medication, alternative kinds of services. Let's just put it that way. So. Yeah. I mean, I can speak from my own experience that I'm, I'm, I guess what you would call thin passing if you looked at me, but my weight has put me in the overweight or obese category my entire life. So I have had so many <laughs> um, doctor interactions of them just looking at my chart, expecting to see something when they see my weight. And I've had some terrible interactions with doctors, absolutely horrendous. And um, I'm not by any means, like I carry a privilege of um, how I look is different than what I weigh. Uh, and I can say that it's a horrible experience. I, I'm very careful about who I go to see for a doctor. I scream them like crazy. I, I remember with, <laughs> uh, by my second pregnancy, luckily I'd gotten a little bit more like, you know, little bit stronger. Um, and I had a, <laughs> I had a care provider who was just like, well, you can only, you can only gain 10 pounds as pregnancy and that you should try walking. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I remember I just was like, well, I climbed, um, the Himalaya mountains during my first pregnancy. Do you think that's enough walking or do you think I need to up it from there? And she just was like, couldn't even like that just, she couldn't even comprehend that I could like do any, any, she just saw a number on a chart yeah. and just assumed certain things. Like, it's just, it's exhausting. So yeah, medical world needs some help. And <laughs> world is not that, I mean, we're just really not that different. I mean, some of the response I got from my article was like, well, my class is really advanced. So I don't think um, fat people could keep up. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous, 
that's just a ridiculous premise. Um, there's a lot of people that couldn't do, for various reasons, there's a lot of people that can't do all of the Pilates moves, period. And it doesn't have anything to do with their like value or their strength. Like just because you can't do one move in Pilates doesn't mean you're not a strong person. And I don't mean like, like internally, I mean like physically strong. Um, and assuming that all fat people are beginners at, at physical activity is also ridiculous. Um, it's just, yeah. That's really, that's really interesting because, um, when you think about like genetic, I mean, things, I mean, people like genetics and other things as well, but, but I have a number of clients that I see privately that are, that fall into the categories that you're talking about and they are strong and some of them don't want to try because of fear. <laughs> I mean, there's other, I mean, there's other limiting beliefs that, um, can come into play with that, but for, for Pilates to make, for, for Pilates instructors to make assumptions like that, to me, that's, it's, it's calling. And I say this because I have posted a few different things and talking about really examining biases, your biases. And these are things that we don't learn in teacher training. Now you learned them in college and I learned them in all the stuff that I've done over the years as well. Um, and I talk, you know, what it's like to talk about your own biases. And so I don't think that the subjects are going to go away anytime soon until people begin to start looking in the mirror at themselves and saying, where are my biases? And if I don't know, maybe begin to examine them, but also listening to people who are like experts like you in this field and saying, you know, it, they're, and again, it goes back, your doctors looked at you and based on like your numbers on the chart, didn't ask you what your physical level of activity was. I mean, I think that it's, there's a lot well, to be said. Even more than that, like that chart had a full blood panel that had all sorts of information on my health that was like, this person's in great health, except there's a weight number that, you know, that's all that mattered. And so, I mean, it's just, yeah, Ugh, it's ridiculous. So I, I'm really excited for this. <laughs> so I'm excited that we're in this place, not just for our industry, but the medical field is really going oh, we may have made some mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like I talk about it a little bit in the article, you know, how did we, um, and actually it's in the book as well, talking about which art, which um, research articles we chose to focus on to build this narrative. Yeah. That, um, being fat meant you're unhealthy. Uh, you talk <laughs> It's just sort of, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody that works in this, but you know, we like, you know, we didn't focus on that. And a lot of it had to do with, um, a lot of it, I don't want to bash, I'm not media bashing, just to make this clear, but a lot of it did have to do with media and what they chose to focus on. Um, they see, and this happens in research, you know, researchers don't get to control what news outlets decide they want to focus on. So a news outlet sees a research thing, they, they 
give a snippet of it that isn't really encompassing the full article and then they just go. And that um, that has absolutely happened with uh, the obesity research. Well, you quoted you quote an article in here, obesity kills more Americans than we thought. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because broken down by gender and race claiming that black women were most effective. However, the study also encountered previously studies that showed Black women with elevated BMIs had lower risk of illness and death. I, I just think that um, it's, and then you go on to say that several leading scientists questioned and challenged the validity of the master's work, but those efforts were met with little recognition. And it's like, you know, they're trying to show that especially wasn't, and I think I went on to read also like, when we talked, when I was talking about obesity and comparing to women or like the obesity and death rate and like looking at like thinner white people, am I, am I correct in talking about this, Lauren? <laughs> what so I'm far, I think so. Yeah. 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 So where there was like the, the incidence of, you would think that there would be higher disparities among people who were higher BMI and all these other things. But in reality, it was really not that much of a difference. Yeah. So that the original article, the like, uh, I can't, sorry, my brain's not working. Oh, the, okay. No, it's all right. And we think no. like part of the, um, part of the peer review attacks were that the math was wrong. And, <laughs> and that was not, you know, that wasn't, that was met with a bunch of people. I mean, it's sort of amazing how much, how much people want to like defend this island of obesity bias. There well, were there were a number of um, uh, PhDs that that are like expert at like their realm is stats that that's their thing and they were running the numbers on this thing and going this is not like you ran your stats wrong. I think that so there I in in my article I put in another um, source and uh, so. That original article hasn't been pulled, but there's now like a footnote of it's been redacted, not redacted, but um, that publication has come out and said like, well, maybe this article wasn't completely accurate, but it's way after the facts and the damage has already been done. Yeah, but one of the things the way I like the way you ended the article where you talked about steps that you can take to working on your own biases for fat people. And I like the very first one where you say avoid, if not completely omit all types of marketing and programs geared toward weight loss. And I think that that is so big that, you know, I, as a studio owner, I had a girl today and I said, you know what? I, there's this nutritionist I know you need to talk to her. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't, um, that's not my area of expertise. <laughs> that's just how, how I put it. But yeah, well, even I would say, um, so from my like 15 years of work on this, most doctors by far, and a lot of nutritionists are also not well equipped to deal with this yeah. because everybody thinks it's like eat less, do more. And that that's enough. Um, and I don't even want to, or that that'll do it. And that's not, that's not accurate, but you really have to, and this is where, you know, this is where it's difficult. You need to find a nutritionist that like understands this full world. 
um, you can be exercising all the time, eating, you know, really healthy, nutritious food and not lose weight and stay exactly the same size. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is actually extremely common. So, uh, you know, there's another ism that goes with all of this and it's health healthism. And I don't know if you're familiar with that ism, <laughs> um, but healthism, the premise of that is that um, your health is a sign of morality and that it is purely your responsibility to maintain that. It is an individual's responsibility to maintain that. Um, and we see that all the time, you know, this idea of if you're sick, it's your fault. If, um, and, and the moralism we see a ton in, I mean, it's the basis of the, of an, of the obesity bias that because, so first we're like, if you're fat, you're unhealthy, which is inaccurate. And because you're fat and unhealthy, it's your fault because you're lazy, because you're gluttonous, because you're all these immoral things. So the healthism is an important part of why this or what's feeding this bias. And a lot of that is like related to Protestantism and Protestant values that are a part of the American work ethic. <laughs> All right, that's another lecture course. We'll have another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, that's a really good one. And then it was also talk about um, promoting body diversity in your marketing. And I have to say to you that through the work, that you and I have done with Chantel Lopez and Ann Bishop with the exposure to Kasha mm -hmm. um, and UDL design. And she, it's really made me look at what I, how I have advertised and am I meeting, like looking at it from all angles. <laughs> and it's really been very um, eye-opening for me to step back or even look at other people's advertising or marketing aspects of it. So, yeah, um, but I know when I opened my studio, I was very intent, like um, our initial photo shoot, I was like, I was very intentional and I did not put a thin person on our website. I, I put a very athletic person. I assure you, she is strong AF and extremely athletic. And she was our front person. Um, and I just remember getting <laughs> comments from clients they're like, oh, you really should be using like mod. I mean, like, it's not just us, like our client, it's a hard thing to fight. I had clients saying like, you should use more like model types um, who are like really lean and like cut to help like motivate people. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, like this is, you know, when you choose to go down this path, you just have to kind of accept that you're pushing against a big like monster here it, and it it takes a lot of like well I guess maybe I could get more clients if I was using you know your standard photo models and all that but I don't think it's worth it to continue this system so I'm not doing it <laughs> well and, and I think that you know it's it's really been like I said, from a marketing standpoint, it was really eye-opening for me, but it also um, made me realize for my own 
business morals and standards that I, I didn't want to promote that. So, yeah, um, but yeah. So well, I but, think it's just interesting, you know, part of me, part of my, like, I've been interested in this for a while. I just think it's, it's interesting to me what people just have programmed in their brain on what is strength, what is health. Um, we have a very specific body type in mind with that. The fact that I can put my friend up who is one of the most athletic people I've ever known. Um, and people just do not see that when they see that image. Like it's just ingrained that that's not what that is. We have to change that. <laughs> we have to change that for everybody's sake. Um, yeah. That's, I, I mean, I absolutely 110% agree. And I think the other piece too, Lauren, that is really interesting is, and it's, a, it's an, an, an ism because it's like looking at, I'm gonna, I don't even like to use the word, but I'm going to just because I have actually been myself, but ageism. And it's like looking at the strength, the strength or lack of strength with women as they age. And it's been, <laughs> I'm just going to say, it's been very interesting the past probably two years for me because, you know, people find out how old I am and it's like, no, I'm not, I am more active now than I have been in probably the last 15 years. But it's also, I'm also, to look at me, I'm strong, but it's not, and I'm not saying that to be vain. I'm saying it to, um, because 90% of my clientele is probably women between 55 and 70. And they're coming to get stronger. Mm -hmm. And they're all, I mean, they're all relatively healthy. So yeah, I think it, that interaction of ageism with sexism. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited. I think that, um, I feel like that one's going to get the spotlight on it next. Uh, I, I just, I'm seeing a bunch of stuff on like Instagram related to ages stuff and um, it's exciting. It's good. Especially like, I am so relieved that these things are coming up. You know, I'm going to be, I'm wrapping up my thirties going into my forties and I'm just really glad it's a different landscape than what it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, yeah. Relieved. <laughs> Well, I hope that I can help pave the way for you because it's, it's, I'm very vocal about it because it's like people just need to look and be healthy and stop looking at the number on the scales to define who you are when it comes to, yeah, you know, as you're embracing yourself. And so I, like, I always like to tell my clients, I'm like, would you use a ruler to tell me what your IQ is? Like, it's not like a ruler is a good measurement or what it is, but you're applying it to something that is not, um, I'm sure there's, a, I, I don't know this, I'm sure I can, I, I can work out a correlation between height and intelligence, but I'm, I think we can all know that there's absolutely no causation with that. So, yeah. but again, I, but I think though that that was so ingrained even 30 years ago where the weight, the number on the scale dictated like how you, I mean, it, it just dictated a lot of different things. So to get yeah. people 
out of that loop um, in defining what, who they are and what they are by, based on their body shape and body size. So, and, you know, going into, and eating disorders is a whole other issue that we're not going to talk about today, though, but yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. So one of the other things that I like that you said was watch your words. Do you say ever, and I'm going to say to you, you use the words feeling fat. What does that statement usually um, instigate? Are you asking that? Are you asking that? Those are those that was a question that you posed in the article. And it's like working on normalizing the word fat. Things can be tall, short, skinny, or fat are merely a deceptor. Stop using words, obese, to describe people. Um, and it's a specific yeah. medical. I, it's just like, it was just like looking. And I always say that language matters a whole lot and how we talk and how we interact with people. And it's like, it's that's, that was a very good point is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I'm happy to run through those. So I let's start with the one where I say, stop using the word obese to describe people. Because yes. um, when you hear me talk about the topic, you'll hear me go back and forth between using obesity versus fat. So I, I personally am comfortable with using the term obesity when I'm talking about it um, in a medical context. So when I'm talking about it in the context of research or um, that. I am not comfortable calling a person obese. No. Uh, there's just a lot of baggage that goes, I mean, what I said, it's a, an, a medical description. It's this medicalization, over-medicalization of, of people's lives. And it's a medical term that has come to mean that there is um, something inherently sick about you because of your body size. No. <laughs> so using that in a sort of day-to-day -day is not not okay um and there's plenty of people that have written more on that but if you're curious yeah. about that you can go read more uh and then the feeling fat so yeah on the one hand i'm saying stop using you know stop using obese use the word fat but then what do you mean when you say I'm feeling fat? Uh, and so for most people, when they're saying that, they're saying they're feeling sluggish, they're feeling, you know, lazy. <laughs> um, they're feeling bloated because they feel like they've been lazy, something along those lines. Uh, they're usually when people use that word, I'm feeling fat, it is not merely being used as a descriptor. It's being used as a negative connotation. Um, negative self-talk too. Negative self-talk, yeah. So, you know, I want you to use the word fat, but not like, I don't want you to pack, I don't want you to use it in a way where you're packing the baggage on with it. One of the people I follow who is fantastic, <laughs> um, she's a PhD out of New York and she works on body positive talk. And she talked, so she's like, you just, uh, body positive talk for parents, because I'm like personally hell bent on making sure my kids don't absorb this stuff. Um, but she's just like, you've got to use the word fat, just like you would use to say something's tall. 
and her recommendation was like when you're at the farmer's market and you guys and you're like looking at different produce you're like wow this is a really fat squash and this is a really skinny squash and this is a really tall squash like that's how you start to neuter that term um you know i'm not i'm not putting morality on the squash i'm not putting all this baggage on all these different squash they're just different sizes and that's all it, that's what it is um, and trying to get there. Now, of course, all of this is like footnoted with, it depends on the person that is in front of you. Um, you know, what <laughs> I wouldn't recommend a teacher just saying to her client, like, oh, well, you're fat. Like, I wouldn't do that. You know, like you've got to read your client. You got to build a relationship with them first before you, um, really say any of these kind of terms, but yeah, they're just, it's just very loaded. There's a lot of, you know, I know you work in trauma. So like, if you have somebody on your reformer who's fat, they probably have experienced trauma because of their body size. And so mm -hmm. you need to be extremely mindful of being a safe place for them. Exactly. Or if you can't be, if you do have like, if you're really reacting to everything that's coming out of my mouth today and are like getting really defensive about it, you might need to, you might need to not teach fat people. You might not be a safe place for them. Uh, and that's part of like that bias work is maybe I'm not the right person for this group of people. It is, but I really think it's, I think that it's very, very important that we talk about it. And a few weeks ago, I had um, Rachel Piper and June Hall on, and they were talking about um, all body shapes and sizes. And Rachel actually is writing curriculum to work with larger bodied women and, or how about just larger bodied people? I shouldn't say women, larger bodied people, but I've really learned a lot from working with my clients that are larger bodied women because I have never, well, I haven't had one man, but it's been a long time. Anyways, to ask them, you know, does this feel okay? And if it doesn't feel okay, what can I do like props and things like that? But again, it's, it's really, uh, it's just so critically important because inclusivity is really a must um, within Pilates. And so, but it was really, uh, it's been an eye-opening experience. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it's like when I started talking about trauma, you know, we all had our own kinds of trauma and, you know, they can go, and again, uh, and I have people say to me, well, there's no trauma in Pilates. And I'm like, oh, well, there's, there's people and there's, and there's trauma within the people that come to Pilates. So it's just really, it's just really, important that we have these kind of conversations and yes they're difficult and yes they're hard to talk about especially if there's biases so lauren yeah. i can't begin to tell you thank you enough and um i will put in the notes how to excuse me how to get a hold of you so if anybody else wants to reach out to you in reference to either your articles on injunct fitness or on your article on fat so and the one before that was about paradox. So, and they all kind of 
each one fed the other. So yes, yes. So um, thank you for your time today. And I really appreciate you because we're there's a few hours time difference for us. So I appreciate it. So, yeah. So I'm going to take us off um, record. So hang on just a minute. Okay. Oh. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. It's my lifelong mission to educate and bring awareness to the fitness industry around trauma-informed movement. If you have any questions or a subject that you would like to hear addressed, reach out to me at my website at www.studiotpilates.com. Hit that subscribe button so the next time we release our latest episode, you're going to be notified. You can also reach out to me on Facebook at Tammy Leischer. On Instagram, you can also reach out to me at Tammy Leischer, but also Studio T Pilates MI. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and we'll talk to you next time.